welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I'm your host, Leah Poconis. Construction firms are coping with a seemingly unending series of supply chain disruptions that are compounding problems caused by record materials cost increases and pandemic-induced challenges to operations. It has never been more important for project participants to be prepared with strategies to mitigate the risk of material price escalation and delays being caused by material shortages in order to preserve the feasibility and profitability of the project. Our guest today will provide a series of risk mitigation strategies available during the bidding, procurement, and contracting phases of the project. So I'm happy to welcome uh, three guests with us here today. We have Greg Suiso with Tarleton Corporation, Jack Muma with Michigan State University, and Ron Ciotti with the law firm of Hinckley, Allen, and Snyder. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here. I want to start off by giving you each a moment just to say a little bit about yourself and um, how you're involved in the construction industry. Greg, let's start with you, please. Uh, Hi, I'm Greg Suiso. I'm with Tarleton Corporation out of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, My role with Tarleton is a project manager in the pre-construction division. Uh, So I work uh, mainly with owners and architects from the earliest stages uh, with the project. So obviously this is a, a big issue for us. Thanks for being here today, Greg. Jack? Thanks, Leah. I'm Jack Mumo with Michigan State University. I'm a construction contract administrator, which is a long-sounding title for uh, responsibilities related to procurement, contract administration, um, and some other business issues that go along. Um, and this is obviously a hot issue from the owner's side. Um, I'm also past president of Construction Owners Association of America, um, and I'm pleased to serve on the board of the Michigan chapter of AGC as well. Thank you. Ron, your turn. Thank you. It's, um, uh, I, I'm a partner at Hinkley Allen. Um, we are a law firm with offices um, really sprinkled throughout the country from Chicago, Boston, New York, um, et cetera. I actually um, work out of our Boston office, but I represent uh, clients throughout the country. My practice is just construction. We have one of the largest construction groups in the entire country. Um, and uh, Being able to represent contractors throughout the country gives me a great opportunity to really see what's going on from coast to coast um, uh, relating to a lot of issues and obviously material price escalation and uh, supply chain uh, uh, disruption has been such a significant one. So happy to be here, honored to be here. I'm also uh, on the building division uh, leadership committee for the AGC. Um, I chair the AGC of America's contract documents forum and I'm actually a past president of our local uh, AGC chapter. Thank you. Thanks for all that you all are doing for AGC. Let's start just to lay the framework here with, uh, I think, some uh, important background. And Ron, I'm going to kick this question to you. What is material price escalation and what are the various issues and events that are likely to cause it? Yeah, Leah, that's a great question. And the fact of the matter is, you know, material price escalation can be confused because I get people who say, you're talking about material price escalation. Well, you know, material prices always go up. They, you know, that's just historical. Well, that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about when material prices explode um, due to a, 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 an event or a circumstance that's occurred in the world. Um, and the reason why it's important to understand what causes material price escalation is because 
you want to be able to take uh, uh, action before the material price escalation. When you're taking, you know, your your steps or your processes to mitigate that risk afterwards, you're uh, you're in a difficult situation. Uh, we'll be actually discussing that, but the 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 causes when you look at it can be as varied as new regulations that go in on on behalf of our government, new taxes, new tariffs, and these can be placed around the world. It doesn't have to be what the U.S. does. If there is a tariff or a trade um, uh, uh, change uh, in policies in even other countries where your materials may be coming from, and as everybody knows, our materials these days come from all over the world, um, uh, it can affect the pricing and the availability of those uh, 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 materials. Additionally, you can look at wars, dis uh, natural disasters, and we've seen these in all sorts of instances over the last several years, especially natural disasters um, in different events like the Suez Canal um, uh, being bottled up. Uh, we watched that affect prices. We've seen natural disasters around the world relating to and even right here in this country with the um, with the fires um, out west in the last several years, almost an annual event now, unfortunately. And when I've given this presentation um, over the years for different organizations, uh, the one thing up until about a year and a half ago, I did not include in the uh, cause of material price escalation was global pandemics. And obviously this global pandemic has created quite a mess in the world, um, not just from a, a, a health standpoint, but also from a world economic standpoint and the availability of materials and the pricing of materials. So all of those things are uh, some of the causes. And again, we look to that because I need you as, as contractors and uh, uh, listeners to this podcast to be able to say, when I see those things happening around the world, it should trigger in me, I need to take preventive uh, 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 processes uh, that we're going to be talking about today uh, to avoid that. And Greg, where... Currently, uh, have we seen costs increasing the most? And I want to ask the others, too, what they're seeing. But let's start with you. We're, we're seeing the most fluctuation right now in uh, structural steel is a, is a large issue right now. A lot of our subcontractors are, are holding their pricing for less than 10 days, um, which you can imagine how, how much of a headache that can cause for the contractors. Um, now, it's been... It's, it's almost been a rolling ball of, of change as far as where, where we're seeing it. You know, like I said, right now is currently structural steel. Previously, it was uh, lumber and building materials. Um, we've had resin products where we've had a bunch of issues. Uh, you know, and uh, insulation is a new one that's coming up. Now, granted, that's not a, you know, a large cost driver for projects, but um, we're starting to see escalations in price there and material shortages there. Uh, which is just going to keep snowballing down the road. You know, as you start, as you start substituting products for or materials for other other types of materials, it, it's just going to keep going. We're just going to keep seeing this happen for for unfortunately, I think a little while. Jack, how about from your perspective? Well, what are you seeing? Greg took all the good commodities, so I don't really have much <laughs> to add to that. But it just feels like a logistics issue in many ways. Um, where and steel, I've, I've heard folks explain the steel very well, where it's just hard to get, even if you, you can produce it, getting it, finding flatbeds or big trucks to get it to the site is a problem. Um, 
or folks are jumping the line. As Ron was talking earlier, it's important to you know, be preventative and work ahead. Um, coming down here yesterday, I bumped into somebody who was, he's a manager at a, at a large port, and he was telling me that they are stacked up right now with big box retailers bringing in holiday shopping because they're going to make doggone sure their stuff is there. Meanwhile, it's holding up an automotive with parts that are out in out at sea. They can't even get in. They're just they're just stacked up, and that seems to be where it is. Um, and that's part of the problem is it's so unpredictable. There's just volatility up and down the line, and um, we could we could probably play a nice guessing game on what the next shortage will be, um, and not really sure. You know, computer chips, um, roofing material. I don't know, ballpoint pens. <laughs> Ron, do you have anything that you want to add to that just yeah, in just, your practice? Yeah, just quickly, I think that we're going to continue to see price volatility in those things that come from um, uh, some of the more volatile countries right now. One of those volatile countries is China, um, not volatile in the, in the manner in which most people uh, think of volatility, but in the fact that we have a really bad trade situation with them. The trade policies continue to change and we um, are even talking about there's been uh, discussion as to whether there'll be a cold war um, between the U.S. and China based on trade policies. If that occurs, we are going to continue to see some some pretty significant uh, price volatility in things like flooring, um, uh, uh, lighting um, fixtures, so many different materials that come from China uh, that are going to affect um, uh, gypsum. <laughs> Um, so drywall, uh, we're going to continue to see that high volatility for, uh, uh, from that area. Are contractors and owners more frequently exceeding budgets and facing difficult negotiations? Um, and of course, with the focus specifically over which parties responsible for absorbing these increased costs that we're talking about. And I also would like you to kind of speak to that with whether or not that depends on um, if it's a cost plus or a fixed price agreement. And I'm sure that the discussions and the negotiations do depend, but I want to kind of lay, lay that out. Um, can we start with you, Jack, sure. kind of what you're seeing in your perspectives? Sure. Um, first, let me mention um, uh, COA is in the process of doing their annual owner survey. And they particularly, they specifically asked about material and price challenges right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and I saw an early look at the responses at a general level, I'd say owners are seeing this more as a schedule problem than a cost problem at the moment. Mm -hmm. Although I, I suspect that's going to evolve as we move along um, at, a, at a high level. Um, and just a lot of comments about the randomness and volatility and whatever we can do to, to work that out in advance. And I know we'll talk more about that later on. Um, at an MSU level, again, it's, it's very selective what we're hitting, what we're coming up against. Um, we certainly, um, if we're doing, if we're taking bids, um, if we're doing a formal bid, it's, there's, a, there's people are putting up, or have to put some safety in those numbers just because of the nature of how quickly we can commit to, to to getting things moving. I, I've had projects where where we haven't been able, for internal reasons, we haven't been able to get contracts turned around for 90 days. And of course, those, those numbers are just a faint memory from where we were. Um, it's happening a lot. Um, on the open book or cost plus, it's a little more doable. Um, 
but quite honestly, that that really need, means we need to have a prime contractor who's able to lock in those subcontract prices mm -hmm. quicker to get us there. Greg, can you uh, share some perspective from uh, your company's point of view? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, Jack kind of hit it on the head there as far as, uh, you know, we're absolutely seeing issues. Um, a lot of our projects that have been budgeted and uh, procured within the last couple months, we've, we've run into issues, um, you know, where budget was X and we came in at X times, you know, two. Thankfully, not that bad, but it's it's definitely a conversation that's being had a lot more frequently with our owners as far as what's driving those those budget bust um, and, and how we're going to rectify that. Um, you know, also being on board early helps us set up the, the project so that we can procure items quicker um, from the CM role, um, therefore being able to, to lock those key subs in, uh, one with either long lead times or two volatile pricing. Uh, the sooner we can get those subs locked into a project, the better off we're going to be for, for the long run and overall project. And Greg, I'm curious, we're also getting, you know, the old joke with demolition is that it's either half or double. We're getting that dynamic in a lot of other trades too, where sometimes projects come in way over and then we bid something very similar the next week and it comes in 25% under. And our internal clients can sometimes get frustrated by that because we're pulling things out of, out of the program that they could have afforded. I don't, are you getting that too? Uh, you know, I, not, not yet, but I foresee that coming. Um, I, I think it's going to be a larger issue because, you know, on some of the large projects we have right now, um, the question is being asked, well, how are you, how are you going to mitigate the risk of the escalation? Well, you know, the only thing we can do is either increase, you know, contingencies or carry line item escalation costs. Um, you know, and in a, in, in a hopeful world, we're going to say, you know, we're at the high point. Well, we know we're not, but if we are, you know, three months from now, four months from now, when design's completed and we're bidding this out, well, you're right. You know, the clients are going to start getting aggravated when we've shaved a ton of scope out of this thing and, and then we didn't have to. Um, you know, it's, I, I don't like the, the theory of, well, shit happens. Um, I, I definitely don't like that one. And, um, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's a tough situation right now with all that. And it's, you know, having to cut scope out of a project simply to pay for, you know, really scope that you're not even going to see is, is painful to owners. I, I will say I continue to see quite a bit of pushback and, and I, I think that um, Jack has done a great job at, at explaining the owner's position, but I think that Jack is also a very reasonable owner. Um, we are seeing a significant amount of pushback from owners um, pushing it back on contractors, the responsibility for the material price increases. Um, if they're not taken care of um, up front with the negotiated position, um, and even those are getting more difficult and more difficult. Um, contingencies don't always take care of it based on the fact that most contingencies aren't worded properly to take care of material price escalation. Um, and we're just, it's a real problem from a responsibility standpoint. If we can get it into a cost plus contract right now, it's better to do it that way because then there's an understanding who's going to be responsible for those material price escalations. But a stipulated sum or a fixed price contract or a lump sum, whatever you want to call it, those are very dangerous right now for contractors because of the fact that from a legal responsibility, you take that on um, unless you have somehow arrived in an agreement, a written 
agreement via contractual terms um, to allow it to occur some other way, or you've taken some of the other uh, uh, processes that I know you, you you know you've already mentioned, Greg and and, and Jack, um, and that we'll be talking about even a little bit more related into processes beforehand to mitigate um, those risks. You're not really eliminating those risks; you're mitigating. Well, and maybe we should just kind of jump right into that because I think it's an important um, important element of this whole conversation. And let's discuss, like you just you just shared, Ron, potential proactive risk sharing ways to manage these risks and and their impacts at the bid proposal and, and time and during the negotiation and procurement. So starting um, kind of broadly here uh, with the bid proposal time, um, let's talk about some things uh, that need to be considered and things that can be done. Uh, Jack, do you want to kick off that conversation? Yeah, and if, if you don't mind me uh, uh, speaking in defense of owners and, and defensive owners as well, um, it's probably good to, to think about the bidding process from, from an owner's standpoint. Um, whether they're a public owner or a, a large, you know, subject to Sarbanes-Oxley, you have some of the same dynamics going on or just the way a lot of people think. That bidding process, to some degree, I'm going to hold the low bidder to certain terms out of fairness to the second low bidder, the third low bidder, that we, we have the same process. And that's that's an ethic a lot of owner procurement types have. We feel like we need to do that. Um, so some of the things that may seem unreasonable, there's there's a piece on that. We think we're trying to be fair and, and good to the process and respect the process. Um, that said, I think it's always good to have a conversation with owners about true risk management and, as opposed to risk risk shoving. I mean, it's relatively easy for me to say your number is your number and it's got to stay good for 120 days. Um, that leads to two options for an owner uh, or for bidders, either, uh, either really high, to, to be safe on that, you're gonna you're gonna have to put some fudge in there, or and by, I mean you're gonna have you're gonna have to have some kind of contingency, something to manage the risk. The other option is you get a fool to bid, who can't manage that risk, and neither one's a particularly good outcome for the owner. Uh, you might get lucky one way or the other, but it's it's probably not super smart either way. So. It's, it's probably not a great time to do hard bidding in general. Let's start there. But um, if we're in that situation, I would encourage anybody bidding that to try and have the difficult conversation with the owner and hopefully get them to understand what they're what they're buying um, and what's what's bundled into that price. Um, and there's probably a more eloquent way to say what I said earlier about the you know fool or fudge, but but both of them are a problem. Um, if if you're in a pre some kind of pre-construction relationship, that's a much better spot to be and, and talk and think about what the owner's goals are and try and tease that out a little bit. The, the lean folks would talk about conditions of satisfaction. Uh, I, I've I've never liked the old saying that you can only pick two out of fast, good, or cheap, but that's an oversimplified way to think about this. About what is it you really? What does the owner really need here? If price is the most important thing, then maybe we need to be uh, smarter on schedule and relax this for a better time or materials or whatnot. So make sure we understand that. In this volatile market, 
and you want to start talking about escalation clauses, try to make it bilateral. Look for a way where you're indexing that up or down. Um, the uh, you know Ken Simonson does some you know his economic newsletter is really good and the, the inflation alerts. And if you look at that, you can see things are going up and down. Um, if you can show that to owners and try and sell a way that can we figure out a way to lock in these prices or, or index this. And if, if, if in six weeks when we have to put the mill order in, steel is down a little bit, maybe you get a benefit out of it as well. Be, 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 be willing to look at that. And then, and then probably the other risk that we don't talk about a lot, but, but scares me more in a little bit are, are subcontractor concerns. As I said, that, that pool concern, not just at a prime level, but the soft, the subs. Um, for years, I've been told that trade contractors are most at risk coming out of a recession when they've been, they have low margin work on the books, work in place, um, and then price increases are coming and they have little room to manage it. There's no flow to their money. And that's a, that's a really good time to, to have subs in a really bad way, which is not going to help the project at all. And, and no bond in the world or subguard policy is going to get the owner what they want out of that. It's going to be painful. So those are some really great points. Um, and I'm, I'm interested, Greg, kind of in in how you are sort of adhering to these things and, and what your tactics have been. Um, so we talked about really understanding what's driving the owner's performance and their goals and decision making and, you know, taking a deeper dive into evaluating the contractor's team and just overall that importance of good communication. What are what are some of the things that that you're uh, looking at at, at your company? Uh you know, it's it all pretty much falls right in line with that. I mean, if if we're talking about the risk mitigation, um, you know, it's it, it's it's being involved early, like Jack said. I mean, from the pre-con arrangement, uh, you know, that's that's the best way we can do it. And thankfully, we're in that situation. You know, for eighty-five percent of our work now, we're also seeing owners who are who are trying to procure work in new fashions that. Um, that we're not, I want to say that we're not used to, but that we're not used to seeing. Um, and that's actually costing them more money because they're, they're pushing that risk downhill. Um, not necessarily to us because in the situation for these projects, it's hard bid situations. So they're pushing it to us, which then gets pushed down to our subcontractor level. Um, and those, those projects are coming in. Uh, I mean, we just had one proposal going that was uh, two and a quarter times their budget. Um, and it's just purely because of the way they push 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 the uh, the risk downhill. Um, so again, you know, just just being able to be in there early, work with the work with the owners to figure out what their goals are, what their needs are, um, and, and just travel down that road together is the best way we can do it. Ron, what would you like to share on this? Sure. I, you know, one of the other things, and don't get me wrong, the good communication and the um, early involvement are absolutely crucial to. Um, mitigating the risk of material price escalation and um, supply chain interruption. And one of the things that uh, uh, is, is really important is for the contractor to get involved, whether there is a complete design or not, is to get involved with the owner to discuss the materials that have been chosen on the project and what those materials, you know, the, 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 um, how the project can be completed in a manner in which it mitigates the risk the most. And there are lots of different ways we've talked about, uh, the, you know, breaking it up into phases for a timing perspective. Um, but there's also the issue of selection of materials. We talked about before 
um, whether or not certain uh, geographic areas might have a, a, um, an issue that might create a material price uh, volatility or might create supply chain interruptions, depending on whether it's a natural disaster or whether it's trade policies, et cetera. Well, if you see that a heavy, you know, a heavy amount of one specific material um, is going to be included in this project that may be very problematic for that project, then talk about it with the owner immediately and see if there's a substitution or a different place to procure that and begin to talk about that may, you know, increase the price of it right now. But you're, what you're trying to do is escape the significant price volatility during the project. And so there's different ways to do that. And, and that early communication just can't be discounted enough. But I think it's imperative, uh, uh, you know, as a contractor to come in and when they see those plants inspects to begin to go through it, uh, whether it's with the design professional or it's with the owner, uh, to talk about what type of issues may be uh, involved in procuring those uh, uh, materials. Yeah, Ron's absolutely right. We More than once, we've made an assumption that a, a certain solution is, we're, we're using that because we think it's cheaper, and we think it's the lower cost, and then we find out it isn't, and just get corrected on that. Um, and I think you're heading towards this too. The, the other piece is be creative. If, if we can put the mill order in now, but we got to have we have to find a yard to stick it in for six weeks or six months. Let's talk um, because we are in this odd spot, at least for for somebody who grew up in the '70s and '80s that remembers inflation. Uh, material pricing is jumping around, but our cost of money is still pretty cheap. So we have to pay for it. So, you know, six months early. We get a lot of security out of that than worrying about what it's going to be in the spring. Yeah, and the only thing before you do something like that, you have to obviously make sure that the design is um, pretty secure um, and finalized. So you're not buying material that end up ends up being cut out of the project. And you, you also have to take into account those storage costs um, and, and finding the storage, um, especially if you have a you know, postage stamps on a site with no laydown area. All of a sudden, you got to figure out where you're going to store this material. Sometimes for a significant amount of time. You can tell which one of us lives in the Midwest, which one spends time in Boston. <laughs> That's right, right. <laughs> so, Jack, how often are you, as the owner, kind of going in and um, purchasing the materials in advance, or is that more something that you see the contractor doing? Well, what we would authorize the contractor to do. We prefer not to buy it ourselves for all kinds of cleanliness reasons and whatnot. Um, and, and frankly, I, if, if it's construction materials, even if it's a chiller or something like that, the mechanical contractor is in a better position to buy that than we are. They're buying more of them and whatnot. But we authorize it pretty frequently. Um, and Ron's right. There is a bit of a risk that sometimes you, you are now building around that piece of equipment or those details and whatnot. You could have a surprise, but... Um, so you better know you're heading in a certain direction. Greg, can you talk about all of this a little bit? So um, how are you managing um, just the risk of buying materials early or figuring out a, a space like a, a warehouse or a laydown yard where you can store excess materials? And is that something that you've, you've been seeing more and more of? For sure. For sure. We're, we're definitely, you know, with, with the approach we're taking to a lot of it, you know, we're, we're trying to chase the long lead items. You know, those are those are kind of our big focus. Um, and I don't want to say it's more of a focus than the cost escalations are, because, you know, as we talked about earlier, that's just that's just a, a rolling ball that we it's hard to keep up with. 
Um, but you know, somebody mentioned earlier roofing. I mean, roofing is, uh, it's an eight month lead time on roofing right now. Uh, barge oyster, 12 months, mineral wool insulation, 12 months. Uh, so trying just to manage the schedule risk of everything, which then in terms equals dollars, if you start running over that schedule and, and can't meet the owner's requirements on that, uh, whether it's through LDs or uh, just just not being able to get in on time. Um, so our biggest, um, the, the road we travel the most, I guess, to say to, to work through this is just those early early bid packages, you know, working with the owners to uh, get funding released for, you know, whether it could be historic windows, you know, Jack mixed, uh, mentioned chillers, um, structural steel, trying to get no orders just to, to have them sitting in the subs yard so that we can get that, um, get everything fabricated in the right amount of time. So, and obviously the sooner we can do that, the, the better off we are as far as solidifying the price for the owners. And Greg, can you talk a little bit about just risk sharing that you're doing with with your suppliers? Like, are you asking suppliers to lock in their prices or um, limit the ability to raise their prices, like capping the amount? What what's been your experience with that? We we try not to we try not to ask our subs to um, I, I don't want to say to limit their price increases. We basically ask them if they have price increases and depending upon how the owners are, how the owner works with the contract relationship is there, uh, you know, if there's a significant price increase, then they have to provide full backup to that. We're not just going to um, just roll with it. So we, we try to mitigate that as just in the way of getting everybody on board as early as possible for those types of scopes where we feel that risk is at. Um, I, I, I think that's really from the contractor standpoint, that's the, the best thing we can do there. Ron, anything else you want to add? And even I had on my uh, list of uh, bullet points here, prefabrication. I know you've got a lot of experience with that. I, I, I do. Um, and I, I was going to, going to mention that, and I'm glad you brought it up, Leah. Um, prefabrication right now is a wonderful way to, um, to mitigate the risk of material price escalation and supply chain interruption. And it's because um, most prefabricators um, keep on hand a substantial amount of the material that they utilize in constructing their uh, 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 prefabricated component, whatever it is, for the project. So to the extent that an, an owner can look at their project or a contractor or a design professional can look at the project and start deciding what they can prefabricate, what portions of this project uh, can they prefabricate, um, it's going to advance us um, substantially, both from a scheduling standpoint and taking out the risks that we, you know, we, uh, just discussed. And I'll give a plug for, you know, consensus stocks, um, which uh, on the agency as, as the agency chair of the uh, contract documents form, um, we came out this past year and published the first in the nation. Uh, general contractor prefabricator contract um, because prefabrication does have some significant contracting um, anomalies uh, because it's a hybrid process of manufacturing and contracting. I'm not trying to change this into a, this podcast into a prefabrication, but it's a wonderful way to, in this time that of, of price volatility, to get your arms around um, a, a more um, a set price and uh, control the scheduling uh, impacts that we've seen based on the uh, supply chain disruptions and unavailability of materials. So let's move the discussion um, into the contractual provision piece. Um, 
that I believe you're going to share may provide the, the contractor with some relief here. So, Ron, just kind of a, a pointed question. Uh, can provisions in the construction contract just help address volatility, volatility and resolve some of these disputes? And then we're going to we're going to go through some of those things. But just kind of opening thoughts on that. Yeah, the, the answer is yes. There's no better way, actually, to mitigate um, uh, the risk of, of material price escalation than contractual provisions. Everything we've been talking about up to this point has been, well, we can try this. This is a good way to assist in mitigating. It's not perfect, but we can try it. Uh, the best way from a responsibility standpoint and a predictability standpoint from both the contractor and the owner or a subcontractor and general contractor is to have uh, contractual provisions that specifically address material price escalation. So what about um, instances where you've got a price increase or a supply chain delay? Um, does that ever trigger a, a force majeure clause? And in, in what instances would it? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, and in fact, um, I, I will tell you, our firm sent out over a thousand um, uh, at the beginning of COVID. I'm not exaggerating, literally over a thousand um, delay notices, uh, potential uh, delay claim notices. Uh, two owners uh, from our, uh, relating to us, uh, contractors, um, based on, on COVID. Um, when COVID first hit, we knew there was going to be delays because of uh, shutdown, shelter-in-place orders, um, and there was going to be additional uh, impacts uh, that we've now all seen. As a result of that, uh, the easiest place to go in most contracts was a force majeure clause. The problem with the force majeure clause is it's not a, so a, a, a sort of solve-all. Um, and the reason I say that is because of the fact that um, force majeure clauses up until now have always been uh, very restrictively read uh, by uh, decision makers, arbitrators, and courts. Um, and what I mean by restrictively read is if it didn't say global pandemic as part of the force majeure uh, clause, then, force, then you know global pandemics were not included. Um, we have seen courts be a little bit more elastic uh, this time around um, in allowing, or I should say flexible, in allowing the uh, force majeure clause to cover um, the, the impacts of COVID. But the other problem with force majeure is uh, it normally only covers timing. Um, so it provides the contractor an extension of time um, based on the delays uh, impacts that caused by uh, this global pandemic, but um, it does not it does not uh, entitle the contractor to additional costs, additional general conditions, et cetera. So it's one of the issues that force majeure has to be a, a very carefully drafted clause. And I will tell you now, up until <laughs> March of last year, it wasn't. Uh, not a lot of time was spent on drafting force majeure clauses to cover things like uh, 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 global pandemics. <laughs> Ron, I know before I forget that you also wanted to mention the, um, the agency uh, COVID-19 rider. Just can you say a few words about that? Because it might be useful to the listeners. Yeah, I, I, it's near and dear to my heart. I spent a long time uh, assisting in the drafting of this rider. Um, and here's, here's what this rider does. It allows the contractor and the owner to sit down. It puts the issues right on the table. It talks about the fact that COVID is still out there, that it's going to have, it's going to cause price volatility. It's going to cause uh, supply chain interruption. It's going to cause the scheduling issues. And it discusses 
how those are to be handled from a responsibility standpoint. And so it gives the owner and the, and the general contractor the ability to sit down and discuss those issues up front. How that clause ends up coming out, we expect it to be negotiated. I will tell you it's very contractor friendly um, because I, you know, when I assisted in the drafting of it, it was drafted for the agency. Um, but I will tell you that um, what my favorite part of it is, is it just puts the issues out there to be discussed which I think is the massive step that has to be taken to address these up front. Yeah, we, we need to have the conversation. Um, as a, and, and I agree that, well, I have a friend who, uh, who, who uh, he's the chief facilities officer at another university in, in Michigan, but he, he has this pat line. He says, we'll handle the next 100-year pandemic much better. Or at least none of us will be around to grade ourselves on it. I mean, but we need to have, we need to start with the conversation about where this all goes. That's exactly right. And and the other, Ron, that, that's that's a different clause than the uh, the material price oh, escalation. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, completely Be different. Because I think that one that Consensus Docs put, put out is really good bilateral. Uh, again, this 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 notion of bidding or for, for an owner, it's, it's very difficult for us to give relief with no consideration without getting something. And I think that clause is a really good example of saying things are wiggling and we're willing to go both ways on it. I, I unrolled uh, our former uh, head of design and construction who was in that role for 30 years used to tell me, you know, Jack, I've never had a contractor or a subcontractor come into my office and say, you know what, we just bid that project too high and here's the money we owe you. You know, that, that, you know that, that's, and, and that's an oversimplification, but his point was there. It's like, this is the deal. So we need some way to let that. If, if, if you're looking for relief, offer some folks something where it could go the other way too. I appreciate um, you sharing, uh, Jack, kind of the owner's perspective of, you know, the importance of, of that provision and not having it be one-sided. Um, Ron, why don't you talk us through sort of some considerations, key considerations here, and then we'll turn to Greg. Sure. Um, when you say key considerations, I assume you mean material price escalation yeah, clauses. Yeah. yeah, the clauses themselves. The clauses themselves are very simple that that you can add to your contract to really assist you in in uh, uh, getting through this material price uh, uh, mitigation process. The first one I'm going to talk about is one that is we consider a a, uh, a risk shifting versus a risk sharing. Very much difficult to um, to uh, convince an owner to shift the risk completely. It's a much easier process to share the risk. So the first one is called um, a day one clause. And what a day one clause is, is it just says on day one, when I give you the price of this, uh, uh, of this, contra uh, this contract, I'm going to list for you all the base prices of the uh, key materials um, that I'm utilizing in this contract. And if there is an increase from that base price of those materials, you take it on, Mr. Owner. And so the issue there is what is the owner's you know, uh, position with most of, most of the time with those clauses is absolutely not. You gave me a lump sum contract. I don't want to now find out that I'm taking on the risk of any increase in any of these materials. So to get, you know, to basically um, uh, get more buy-in, 
one of the next, I told you there's really four. There, the second one is more of a risk sharing clause. And it's called a threshold clause. The threshold clause is whereby if the material goes up by, you pick the percentage, you get to negotiate this with the owner. If the contractor says if the material price goes up by 5 or 10%, I'll take that on. Anything over that 5 or 10% is on you, Mr. and Mrs. Owner. So the issue is you have to negotiate the percentage that you're willing to accept in that threshold and before they, uh, the owner, takes on the rest. One of the um, uh, sort of principles of all this that you have to understand is you have to list your baseline prices, which sometimes you know contractors aren't willing to do or don't want to do. There, there has to be some uh, uh, sharing here because you can't collect a base price, <laughs> I mean, an increase off of the base price. If you haven't given them the base price, there are also maybe disagreements over that base price because obviously it's in your best interest the, as a contractor to give a very, very low <laughs> uh, price. So if it goes up by 5 or 10%, it's really just covering your original price. So owners really need to see, and, and there has to be that sort of um, uh, sharing that goes on that is uh, sometimes difficult for contractors. This, the third clause um, is even a better clause, in fact, and this is really what's found in the consensus docs 200.3, I think it is. Yeah, yeah I think it is. The, um, uh, in, which is called a mutual or bilateral threshold clause. And, and it's where the threshold, that 5 or 10%, you said, if it goes up, I'll take on the first 5 or 10% and you take on, um, and you take on anything above that. Um, it just flips down. And this is what Jack referred to when he said, sometimes the owner needs something back. If we're going to take on some risk, we want some benefit. Makes sense. And so now what you're saying is, if you take on, if the contractor is going to take on the first 10% of price increase and the owner is going to take on anything over that, then the contractor will take on the first 10 per, or get the benefit of the first 10% of a price decrease, but the owner takes on anything uh, um, below that. And again, all of that can be negotiated where that gets flipped. The owner can get the first benefit of the price decrease, the contractor, anything, you know, uh, below a certain number. The percentages can get negotiated. It's a great way, a, mutually uh, a mutual or bilateral threshold clause to handle material price escalation is the proper way to do it because it shares that risk with the owner. The owner feels buy-in. The owner feels like you're being fair. And you actually probably improve your relationship with that owner if it's going to be a potentially uh, uh, a repeat owner. The last clause is called the delay clause, and that's just timing. We will hold um, our baseline price till X, but anything, any increases that occur after X is on you, um, or can, you know, and you can mix those. Delay clauses can be mixed with a threshold clause, just like we just talked about, but it happens after a specific time period. And the reason for that, and these are used mainly in cases, or at least when, when we heavily add these to contracts, is specifically in cases where we don't know if the, if the uh, project is going to go off at that um, right time. Or we think there may be delays from other, ex, uh, 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 other issues, permitting issues, et cetera, that may not have been fully clear. 
And so to save us, we are only going to hold that price for a specific period of time. Um, those are really the four main clauses. After that, I, I call it, there is a, the, the fifth phase, which is the prayer phase. <laughs> we'll get to that. Thank you so much for laying that out so clearly. It's uh, really helpful um, to understand sort of the four phases. And Jack, of course, I, I do want your reaction to this. And, and which one do you favor? I, th I think I know in the third, but what's, what's working best for you? Well, two and three are both good. I thought three would be better, but I, yeah, I was drooling because it reminded me of another important point, which is the owner decision-making. This is a great way to tee that up. The great, you're under contract on September 1st, but if I hold the shop drawings for six weeks, that really messes us all up. And this is a great way to have that conversation because it's not so much you know, those those prices are going to float till you put the mill order in or you put the whatever in, and making sure, um, you know, we're a big institution with 25 million square feet and a lot of a lot of very involved stakeholders and understanding that that extra week can really, really matter. And this is a great way to have that conversation because we're not unique. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of other owners who, for different reasons, come to the same point of making those decisions in a prompt way that really is productive. Um, but I, Ron laid them out in the, in the, the whys on each one of those already. Greg, is there anything that you'd like to add from uh, Tarleton Corporation's experience with us? I'm very similar with Jack in, in his opinion there. Two and three are probably the most, most uh, frequent conversations we have with option two there being being the most common of those. Um, it's it's basically comes down to the timing. It is as long as you know. Typically, that you know, Ron mentioned five to ten percent. We try and keep that lower to three. <laughs> you know, see a, see a three percent. Yeah, it there. could be any number. Sorry um, about that, Greg. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, but that option two is our our most common conversations right now, and the owners do seem to to follow along with that. I I do I do agree though that. You know, option three, where you have the shared gain or loss, however you want to look at it, would be um, most favorable. And in fairness, I, my starting point is usually a job well done is its own reward. But that only goes so far, too. <laughs> and ju just to clarify, since since I botched the number of the consensus stocks, it's consensus stocks 200.1 with the horrible name, sorry, Brian, um, it, of Potentially time and price impacted materials amendment. It is a very long name. It is an excellent document, though. It really is very worthwhile to look at. And it also gives you the indexing for the, uh, not indexing, but it gives you the um, form to utilize for the base prices um, and listing of materials because that's critical. I've seen provisions go in into a contract with a threshold clause in there and no exhibit for. Uh, materials or baseline prices, which gives you nothing. If you don't have the baseline prices, how do you prove the, you know, how much it went up? Um, so it it's a really um, critical, but this is a great document to use. 200.1, just remember that, forget the name. <laughs> and, and we will link to that again from the show notes um, and specifically to uh, Consensus Docs Price Escalation Resource Center, which has uh, some great tools there. Um, Ron, so back to you, you had mentioned the prayer phase, which, yeah. and, and when you and I spoke previously, I, I loved how you laid out kind of how you think through this process and the prayer phase, meaning, okay, we don't have an escalation clause in our contract, 
Um, you know, we can't trigger the force majeure. And then what, what are other things to think about? Yeah, I'd look at it. If you didn't do anything during the bid, bid phase, the procurement phase, the contracting phase, now what do you do if there's a, a material price? And I call it the prayer phase because you do pray a lot at that point. Um, and you hope that the owner is going to work with you. But if the owner doesn't, one of the things you need to do is you need to go back to your contract that you have. And, and we talked about the force majeure clause. Um, you may also look at um, a change in law provision. Uh, they're in most federal contracts. They're not in all private contracts, but they're in um, a number. They're in uh, consensus docs. Um, and a change in law provision basically allows you for time, time and uh, money uh, that's based on inter uh, uh, basically impacts relating to a change in law. Um, best example I can give you is one we talked about this morning. Um, if the executive order, if uh, President Biden's executive orders go through um, and require uh, uh, mandatory vaccinations, we are going to see impacts um, in this industry. Already a, an industry that is depleted in labor force uh, is going to get even more depleted. Um, and so the, the, uh, the fact of the matter is there is going to be impacts from this change in law provision, uh, change in law. So you look to a change in law provision for it. Uh, same thing with um, if, if there's a mutual mistake, a very difficult argument to make, but a mutual mistake in the, um, in the uh, contracting of this project or commercial impracticability, that this makes it commercially impracticable to complete the project. Um, both of those last two are incredibly difficult to succeed on, uh, which is why I say it's the prayer phase, because you have to know if you're into utilizing those uh, provisions in your contract, um, you're really into the wish and a prayer area. I'm not saying that you can't win. Um, we have one, but I will not say it's at a high rate. Um, so you're, you, when you're looking at your uh, the substantial, um, uh, whether, whether or not there's a, a substantial likelihood of success on the merits, probably not great in those two areas. Can I, um, yeah, I was going to ask you, Jack, if you had anything else that you wanted to mention there. Well, only, and I'm probably backing up just a little bit. Um, it, first of all, uh, yeah, th that's a hard sell. And it's a lot easier to get get time than money, but I, I get it. Sometimes that's just frankly not enough, and I get the difficulties. If you're pre-prayer stage, if you're still in the negotiation or pleading, I guess would be before prayer. Um, I really do recommend the uh, construction inflation alerts that AGC has put together. Um, Ken has done, Ken Simonson's done a nice job with some of those charts, which is one in particular that shows different different materials and how that's fluctuated over the last six months. Um, internally within MSU, that's been extremely helpful to show to other executives, to show the volatility of what's going on. Uh, and just open-mindedness that, yeah, there's a problem here. Um, not necessarily leading to relief or contract if we haven't been to that stage yet, but just understanding that it's very difficult to know where this market is going and what's going to happen next. I, I will say, though, that not Ken's um, uh, charts, but I had those volatility charts used against me in representing contractors because that's when owners will say, you should have known how volatile this material you know, pricing is. You should have worked baked that into your, your contract. Yeah, certainly. But if you let's let's roll it back. If you if you were to look at those fluctuations over two years or five years, you, you don't see fifteen 
Right. Absolutely. I mean, right. And, I mean, lumber, you know, timber is a great example of that. And, yeah. and it is frustrating from an owner standpoint. So, okay, great, lumber went down. Is the price going to go back? No, it's not. There's other factors at play. But it is a good way to more, and again, it's, it's like Greg was saying earlier, the, the earlier the builders are involved, the better. Um, it just helps us set the expectations and mm-hmm. thinking about this in a more mature right. way. Great. Well, thanks so much for mentioning that. And um, Ken Simonson is AGC's chief economist. He'll be psyched when he listens to this podcast, all, the, all of our call-outs to Ken. So again, it's called um, AGC's Construction Inflation Alert. Uh, we'll link to it from the show notes. Ken continues to update the, the document. Um, I think about every month, and it's intended to help contractors demonstrate to owners, officials, um, and others uh, the harm that price increases and supply bottlenecks are causing. Um, We've also, our association, AGC, we've held some webinars. Um, I know you guys that are on this podcast have been presenters at webinars. Um, uh, Jack and, and Ron are here at AGC's National Convention. We're actually doing this podcast in person, and they're going to be presenting a session tomorrow. Um, we're going to share their PowerPoint presentation in the show notes. Um, so anybody have any uh, closing thoughts before we wrap up here today? Really appreciate all the information you've shared. It's been great having you guys um, to talk with on this topic. Uh, why don't we start with you, Ron? I, I, my, my closing remark is that um, we've been discussing collaboration um, for years now in this industry, uh, and we've been discussing it not relating to how to handle material price escalation. We've been talking about it relating to basically every other aspect of construction, which is uh, appropriate. Um, but the fact of the matter is collaboration is so critical if the parties are going to um, reasonably make their way through this process. It really does take uh, a collaboration, communication to uh, to get through this, whether it be at any of those other phases of the project, the bid procurement or uh, uh, design phase or the uh, or the contracting phase. It really does take collaboration to uh, understand, so both sides understand how to work their way through this all the time. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think one of the things AGC and general contractors are very good at is deal making. Uh, all of the plates they have to keep spinning on a job site, then with owners and designers and whatnot. This is another example that they're well suited to keep doing that. Um, if if they feel like their owners aren't quite understanding this, there are certainly resources to help them understand owners understand what the issues are um, that they're not giving away the ranch. There's, actually real value on this and we can have a mature conversation. Um, it is important for the 17th time on this, apologies, to, to make sure that you're offering something at the same time too that makes us a much easier sell for that to work. Thanks, Jack. Greg, I'll give you kind of the final word here. Um, any closing thoughts? No, just, just to beat the same drum as, as Jack and Ron have there. Um, just collaboration, communication between owners, between uh, owners, contractors, design teams, all of us, we just have to, to communicate. You know, that's going to be the best weapon that we all have to get through this. All right. Well, thanks everyone out there for listening. This has been another episode of AGC's Constructor Cast. Please subscribe to the Constructor Cast from your podcast app or stream all available episodes right from your computer at www.agc.org/constructorcast. <laughs>